to behold your God. Uh, we need to uh, make that our proclamation every day. Uh, and that's going to be uh, really our focus for the next couple of Sundays is lifting up God and who he is. And as he has revealed himself in scripture, we're going to look to him and behold him in all his beauty and his strength and his gentleness and his tenderness. Who is like our God? We should leave this this section of Isaiah, Isaiah 40. We should we should leave uh, this passage saying no one is like our God. He he is uh, he is above and beyond all that exists. And so we will continue to look at Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 uh, verses 6 through 11 will be uh, where we are give our attention this morning. Isaiah 40 verses 6 through 11. And the topic would be the, the sovereign shepherd. And where I'm going in this is I got three points. Uh, verses six through eight, we'll see that uh, the sovereign shepherd uh, words, uh, his word stands forever. Uh, and verses nine through ten, we'll see that uh, the sovereign shepherd rules with strength. And lastly, in verse 11, we see that he shepherds with tender loving care and this again introduces us to our God the God that uh, is going to deliver his people Israel so look with me at the text I'll start reading at verse 1 uh, just for context Isaiah 40 verse 1 comfort comfort my people says your God Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the lord has spoken a voice says cry and i said what shall i cry all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass weathers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass weathers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion. Herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him he will tend his flock like a shepherd he will gather the lambs in his arms he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with him this is the word of our god last week we saw yahweh's intent uh, to bring his people comfort in the time of their deepest need. And even though it was their disobedience that created that the, the deep need, the desperation, the suffering 
that they're experience that they will be experiencing in exile in, in Babylonian exile. Today we'll see uh, that uh, their only hope and our only hope of salvation is this to not depend upon man, uh, but upon God and His Word. Who will deliver them? Will God deliver them? Yes, He will, and He will come with His strength and His tender love. That's what we'll see in our text here today. So we'll start out looking at God's word. We'll stand forever. The, the sovereign shepherd, his word stands forever. Look at the beginning of verse six, where it says a voice cries. A voice again commands a cry. This word cry is to cry out, to shout aloud. Uh, one theological dictionary said that this is a technical term for the proclamation of Yahweh's will. When you are speaking of God's word, you're to be bold. You're not to be timid. You're not to be intimidated. Matter of fact, God is going to call his people to be uh, the bearers of good news. They are to be, once they hear the word of comfort, they're to go and to herald, to, 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 to speak aloud God's good news that they have received. And so God tells the prophet here, taking the message that they will proclaim, cry out to them, shout aloud, because it's good news. It, 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 it is good news. It is words of comfort. And, and, in in Isaiah, this 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 same crying out could be seen in Isaiah chapter fifty eight, where God calls the prophet to cry out for the sins of the people. Isaiah fifty eight verse one says, "Cry aloud, do not hold back." This is this is the this is what God calls the preacher to do. Don't hold back. Don't temper. What I have said, cry aloud, don't hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of, Ju of Jacob their sins. The, 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 the prophet is to cry out, to shout aloud God's, what God is going to tell him. And the focus here, and I say Isaiah because we really don't know who it is, but we can imply that it's Isaiah. The focus here is not on on who is saying it, but it's on what is said. And, and, and the prophet questions in response to this, the one who God commands to cry out. He says, and I said, look at verse six again. And I said, what shall I cry? This is how uh, this is how every preacher starts his sermon preparation. God, what am I to say to your people? We don't come up with our own message. We don't go before God's people with our own words. God warns his people about prophets who come up, who come and they come up with their, their, their own thing. They come up with something of their own minds. In Jeremiah 23, verse 16, uh, God says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination not from the mouth of the Lord. You know, we, we, uh, uh, preachers don't have anything to say if it's not God's word. We, we have nothing to say from behind this pulpit if it is not God's word. Our opinions don't matter. Nothing matters but what God says in 
his word. So the prophet understands this. He cries out and he said, what shall I cry? Tell me. And he must tell the people two realities. He must point out two realities. The first reality is the reality of the frailty of life. And the second reality is the reality of the steadfastness of God's word. If the people, if the people and, and even us today, if we face the reality of our frailty. And if we really embrace the, the reality that we're helpless, that we are in need of help. If we embrace that reality, we will run to God's word. We will run to God and depend upon him. And this is the significance of what follows of the frailty and the steadfastness of God's word. These two don't contradict these, uh, each other. They are complementary. The, the understanding of our, 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 our uh, frailty, it, it enables us to embrace the, the truth that God's word will remain and build our lives upon what he has said and not what we do ourselves. It is those who imagine themselves that they're strong. It is these people who will lean on their own understanding. And it is those who are who who feel that they are that they in some sense have some some strength to to live the Christian life in reality. They will despise and reject God's word ultimately because they will be found out. They will be exposed. God exposes the reality of our frailty. And either we run to God or we run away from him when we find that reality out. And so to prevent this, God's people must recognize that life, that man and, and the, the life of man is, is transitory. And look at the rest of verse six. We see it here. All flesh is grass. All flesh. The, not just the wicked, all flesh. The good, those who are saved, those who are not saved, God's people, the wicked, all flesh. Is grass and grass. Starts out lush. My yard was looking nice. About springtime, you know, spring kicked in, fertilized it, looking lush, looking nice, trimming it up. It's growing, you know, looking green. Then the summer hit. And all of a sudden you start seeing it turn brown. It's turning brown and. And, and, and that's the way like that's 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 just like man. We we start out. We 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 things look well. And look what the the uh, what God says. All flesh is grass and all is beauty. It's, it's this this beauty is the uh, this word beauty is the word hesed. It, it's it is used to refer to God's faithfulness. Uh, here it refers to uh, constancy. The 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 it says all flesh is grass and is. And, and all this uh, constancy or the quality of being faithful and dependable is like the flower of the field. In other words, man is undependable. He, he, you can't depend upon man because man is here today, gone tomorrow. Kingdoms uh, uh, are, are built and, and they are glorious today and they're gone tomorrow. I think of the the one church, uh, Robert Schuler's church. And at the time, you know, it's called a crystal cathedral. And at the time, uh, it was it was the most it was modern and it was the you know, you look and you're like, wow, that is glorious. Uh, Chris, I mean, it got got stained windows, you know, had a great big organ and pipes everywhere and it was glorious that thing today is antiquated 
It, it, it was that which was glorious and built by man to be glorious uh, is is seen as old and uh, it's a relic and is no longer relevant. Uh, all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Flowers blossom and they are colorful and they're beautiful. And but but yet they 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 grow for a season and then they wither away. This is what verse seven says. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. And just like the heat can turn the grass from green to brown, man's kingdoms, man nations, the, the nations of, of mankind may flourish and they may flourish for decades, but then they're gone. And, 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 and this reality needs to embrace by God's people so that we will not run to the world. This was what God's people did. And we'll see further in Isaiah 40 how God compares and contrasts who he is with the idols and with the nations. And he does this because this is where the people kept running. They kept rather than go to God, they turned to the nations. They turned to their, the idols that the, the, the nations uh, created. And God is saying here, man and, and all that he is and all that he creates, man is like grass. And his beauty will fade. So don't trust in man. And he says, surely. This is an uh, attention getter. This is to get your attention. Pay attention. Surely the people are grass. And God's people must think correctly. Not only about themselves, but about the world. God commands us to not think more highly of ourselves than we are. Romans 12 and 3. 1 Peter 5 and 5. God says that he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, those who are humble embrace the reality that they're frail. That they're like grass. That they're like that, that the beauty that they have is here today and Gone tomorrow. This is the, the mindset of those who are humble. The proud says, uh, I'm good. The proud is like the rich young ruler. Tell me what I need to do to inherit eternal life. You, you tell me what I need. I, tell me what I need to do because I can do it. Oh, God opposes that. God is against that. God is near the broken and in contrite heart who looks to God and says, I need your grace. Dave Linden noted this. He says, admitting we are like grass, weak in ourselves physically and morally shows the glory of our salvation. And this is why we are to acknowledge our helplessness because it reveals the greatness of our God and his deliverance of us from our sin. And Paul had this mindset even in himself. First Corinthians chapter 15 verses 9 through 10. He says this of himself. Paul understood that he was like grass and his beauty was will fade. Listen to Apostle Paul here. He says, for I am the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Is that your declaration? By the grace, it's only by the grace of God I am what I am. I can take no credit in and of myself because I'm helpless. I was dead in, in my sins and trespasses and God saved me. And even now I live by grace. Is that your declaration? Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am 
what I am right now. As you look upon me, as you see the success of, 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 of the ministry that God has called me to, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the grace of God. He says, I am, it's by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder. He was responsible. Uh, harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. It's, it's important that we in, embrace our frailty because then we will cling to God's grace in Christ Jesus. Verse number eight, look at verse number eight, the grass weathers, the flower fades, and 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 you see in this passage it's mentioned over and over again, and God mentions it again and again so that the people would not forget. This is important. In the face of 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 of, of the reality that God is coming to deliver his people, they must realize their frailty in order to run to God and to cling to him. And notice what the writer says. He says, the grass weather, the flower fades, but, but negates everything that just, that was just talked about. Yeah, the grass withers. Yeah, the flower fades. Yeah, this is true of man. He is frail, but God word, God's word endures forever. God's, but the word of our God will stand forever, will stand. It will be in effect. It will remain in force forever. Yeah, we're temporal. We're here today, gone tomorrow. But I, the, the word of our God, not just the word of God, is personal. The word of our God will stand forever. And here's the point. God's people must trust in him alone. They must trust him because he is worthy of trust. Because his promises are sure. Permanent. And dependable. What he says. Remains valid. What he says. Is always relevant. We don't have to make God's word relevant. It is relevant. We don't have to make it. It is relevant. His word will stand. We must trust it. His word is valid. Because he is God. And it's valid because he has the power to achieve what he has determined. What God says, he has the power to bring it about. It doesn't matter if it if it happens in a moment it doesn't matter if we have to wait a hundred years for deliverance if God said it he will do it his word is always relevant just think about the people who is receiving this word these uh, Isaiah takes these words and 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 pass it and, and, and passes it on, and it gets passed on down through generations until the exile takes place, and that's going to be a hundred years. And up to that point, the people must believe that what God has said, what God has promised to do, His word will stand forever. It's in effect. It, it, it is even though you may there will be some who will die in captivity. There will be some who will die before they go into captivity. And what is to be their posture? They're to trust that God's word it will stand, that it is permanent, that it will not change, that what God said, he will do it. Isaiah 14, verse 27, for the Lord of hosts has purpose and who, who will annul it? Nobody will come and undo what God said he will do. His hands is stretched out and who will turn it back? Isaiah 55 verse 11. My word 
God says, he says, my word goes out of the word that goes out of my mouth. The word goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. But it will. It shall accomplish that which I purpose. It shall. Not maybe. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I will accomplish. My word would accomplish what I sent it for to do. And it will succeed in what I desire. Should we not take refuge in God? Should we not trust him? The psalmist said this in Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Where is your trust this morning? Where, where is your confidence and trust this morning? If we evaluated your life, if we took took an evaluation and we looked upon your life, where would we find your trust? The psalmist says it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Listen to the psalm. 119 verses uh, verse 89 talking about trusting in God whose word is trustworthy it says forever O Lord thy word is settled in heaven why trust man if, if God's word is settled it's settled it's not moving it's not wavering it's settled. It is there. God said it. And it will bring about what he purposed. Why trust in something else? Or someone else? Isaiah 26 verse 4 says this. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an, is an everlasting rock. If, a, if God is everlasting, if he's an everlasting stable, secure. That means that his word is everlasting, stable and secure. And we should trust it. Whatever he said, whatever he promises, we must trust it. And again, this word, this word of comfort, this word of, of promise of deliverance comes uh, comes to God's people before the deliverance takes place. And, and they must. And when it when they're in exile and the 70 years are coming to an end, they will have experienced a difficult time. And as that time comes to an end, they must not doubt what God has said. They must trust God, regardless of what they've gone through, regardless of how difficult their past may have been and what they are experiencing at that moment. They must trust God. And so Israel can believe what God, what Isaiah proclaims about the comfort, the coming comfort, that God is coming to comfort his people. For unlike grass and grass and, 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 and flesh, the, the word of God, God's word will stand forever. What God said will stand forever. They must trust in his promises. They must trust him for deliverance alone. And we know King Cyrus would be God's vessel that would come and 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 be uh, and deliver the people uh, from the Babylonian captivity. But it's amazing how rebellious God's people is. They they don't even if you read later on in Isaiah, like Isaiah 45, they hear that God is going to deliver them and it's going to be through the uh, through through the pagan king Cyrus. And they're going to say, oh, we don't want that. That's that's just you talking about people that are in need, stubborn. It, it, it is us, the people of God. God comes and, and he comes and we still 
doubt, uh, doubt him and, and what he's doing in our lives, what he promised to do in our lives. And so we must not trust ourselves. We must not trust uh, others, uh, the, the, the government or anything like that for deliverance. It's not going to come about by our own strength. We must trust in God. Our confidence must be in God and his word alone. Look at verse number nine. Verse number nine. And here, having received the news of God coming and he's going to comfort his people, uh, their sins will be forgiven. Uh, they're going to be restored. And, and, and here God commands his people, his own people, to be heralds. Look at verse 9. He says, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion. This is a reference to Jerusalem. We'll see here. Uh, this, this is O Zion, another word for Jerusalem. O Zion, herald of good news. Go up to a high mountain. Derek Thomas noted that a, a herald of good news here is one word in, he, in the Hebrew. And he says the Greek equivalent is evangelist. Uh, is, is, the, is evangelist. And, and, and so the, the people are to be evangelists. The, the contents of the message, that it is to be proclaimed. The, the, the message is verses 1 through 8. They're, they're, to, they're to proclaim. They're to go up on a high mountain and, and, and herald the good news. They're to proclaim this. They're to look at verse 9. It's continued. Lift up your voice with strength. They're to go up on a high mountain and use a loud, strong voice to spread the good news. They're not to be timid. The people of God should be should not be timid to speak the gospel. Lift up your voice. Don't be scared. Because you have good news. <laughs> You have good news. Do you trust God to speak the good news? We can say it this way. If you trust God, you will be proclaimers of the good news. You will go to the nations and make disciples. You will evangelize. If you trust God, if you're confident in his word. Old Jerusalem, it says, old Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah. And the message is behold your God. This message must be, be proclaimed without fear. Isaiah 52 verse 7 says this, how beautiful upon the mountain. <laughs> they, they've gone up. They, they, they've gone up on a high mountain to proclaim the good news. And how beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. This is similar to the New Testament, the good news. Where did the good news start? In Jerusalem. And God, uh, Jesus commands. He gave the commission to take the gospel from, Ju Ju from Jerusalem to, to all Judea. The uttermost parts of the world. To Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. To all the earth. Acts 1 and 8. So this is not just for the people of the Old Testament. We are called to, to take the gospel to all the earth. And definitely there's no mountains here in Enid. But wherever we are, we're to take the stand, take a stand upon what God has said in his word and proclaim his gospel.
and not let the world drown us out by their message. Take the gospel. And so what's the, what is the good news is going to be? God is going to behold your God. They, we, we, we've already seen that he is coming. And now the, 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 they're told to 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 tell the herald the good news. The, the, the good news is your God is God. Behold, your God. He is your God. And what is he like? This is what he's like. He, he, he will come and he will meet the exiles in, in, with sovereignty and might. Look at verse 10. Behold, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. The people of Zion are to overcome the the, 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 the crisis of their faith caused by the exile. They're, they're to overcome the, 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 the reality of their frailty with the truth that the sovereign God reigns with absolute power. No wonder Paul said he'll boast in his weakness. Why? Because God is strong. Because Jesus Christ is Lord. No wonder he will boast in his weakness. No wonder the people should behold their God and, and cry out to others to, to behold your God. God is sovereign at all times. Exodus 15 and 6 says this. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O oh Lord, shatters the enemy. God, God is ruling and reigning with absolute power, even over his enemies. Psalm 24, verse 8. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Our, our God. We don't, have to, we don't have to cower in the face of the wicked. We, we don't have to cover our mouth and be ashamed to, to proclaim the gospel because our God is God and he is mighty and he is ruling and reigning. Jeremiah 32 verse 17 says this, Ah, oh, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Why not take the gospel to the world? Because nothing is hard for our God. Why be ashamed? Why not tell others who need to hear it? Because nothing is too, far, too hard for him. His hand is not shortened that he cannot save. He neither slumbers nor sleep. He is God. And having a, a dose of the reality of who God is, is important and necessary for our faith so that we can live boldly, so that we don't cower in the face of difficult, uh, difficulty and suffering. We began to draw back. Our God is mighty. We can press on when it gets tough because he is mighty. He will defeat even the enemy of death we can face death head on we can be put to death for the sake of christ because our god is mighty absent from the body present with the lord he is mighty we don't need to fear anything in life in between life and death The people of Israel, they, the, 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 the God of, of Israel, during this time, when they go into captivity, the God of Israel will seem to have been defeated. The people, will, God's people will be in, in captivity. Jerusalem will be destroyed. The temple 
would be destroyed. God's people would not be living uh, under the, the and receiving the, the covenantal blessings that God promised to give to Abraham. They're going to be in captivity and God will look and it will look like God has been defeated, that his purpose for his people, he has been overcome. God is mighty. When he comes, he will come with might. And when he comes, his arm will rule for him. He's mighty to deliver. He's mighty to save. He, he, he's not, even though it, it may look like for a period of time that God is not ruling and reigning, he is. He is. And it may, and it's like that in our lives at times. We are devastated by suffering. We're devastated by loss. And there is opposition. There's resistance to our faith. And it can look like God is not in control. We look out into the world today, it looks like God is not in control. I mean, you got wars all over the place, all kind of uh, all kind of evil that is taking place in the world. And it is easy. It is easy to, to question, to question the existence of God. It's easy. People you talk to will probably say, well, what about what's going on, the evil in the world? If there's a God, why is there evil in the world? We must, we must not shudder in the face of, of, of such resistance. Regardless of how people resist God, he reigns. He, he reigns. In, in the midst of suffering, he reigns. In the midst of opposition, he reigns. In the, re, the midst of resistance, nothing will hinder what God has purposed because he comes with might. And he comes and he is in control. Think about who was in captivity and how they stood for God. That God is God. Remember Daniel and the lion's den? He believed. He trusted that God exists and that he reigns. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? The fiery furnace. They believe in a God who is mighty and rules. It's not the kings of nations. It's not man that rules. God is ruling. Turn to Psalm 93 verse 1. And if this is true, then we should live like it. If, if God is who he says he is, then it should be evident by the should be evident by the way we live our lives, the, by the way we conversate, by the way we relate to others, by the way we deal with our problems. Uh, Psalm 93, verse 1. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Do you believe this? Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Why? Because he created it. Your throne is established from of old. From uh, You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O oh Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The flood has lifted up their roaring, mightier than the thunder, uh, thunders of many water, waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. This is our God. This is who he is. He's mighty. Turn to Psalm 103. 
Is the Lord just sitting by in heaven, passively watching what's going on? Uh, Psalm 109 verse 19 says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom. Notice, this is active. This is, this is, this is what's happening. Right now, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Turn to Psalm 115. Psalm 115, verses 1 through 3. Says here, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. I mean, this is why we exist. If, we, if, if, if we're not giving glory to God, we need to close the doors of the church. This is why we exist. We exist to give glory to God. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, why should the nations say, why should they come to us and say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Turn to Psalm 135, verse 6. If this is true, this should impact how we live our lives. It says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth. In the seas and all its deeps. So, wherever, whoever, whatever, God is reigning. Doesn't matter. He reigns. He rules. He is governing. He's not passively observing. He is actively ruling and accomplishing his will. And beloved, there is nothing, there is nothing that God intends to do. If he intends to do it, it will not be left undone. God is building his church. God is sanctifying the, the lives of, his, of, of the saints. Nothing will be left undone if, if, when God determines to do it. God will accomplish his purpose in our lives because he is mighty. He is mighty. Donnie McLeod said this. He said, quote, God is almighty. His power extends over the whole universe, which is so entirely at his disposal that he can do within it whatever he wills. And as the creator of all other powers, he stands over them and holds them in his hand. Good kings, bad kings, good governments, bad governments, Hamas, Israel, Lebanon. God holds all in his hand. They are governed by his power. God is almighty. And his people can be confident, even in their suffering. Even in their suffering. God will deliver. And he will do so without human aid. God says this, Zechariah uh, uh, 4 and 6, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the, Lord's of, the Lord of hosts. He doesn't need man to accomplish what he has purposed. Isaiah 43, verse 7, God says this. He says, uh, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made, we're, we're, we're formed and made, we're creatures, we're, we're, God doesn't need us. We're dependent upon him. He is the creator. And what God does, it is by his mighty power. Revelation chapter 7, verse 10. 
which we read earlier, said salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Our God is mighty. Salvation belongs to him. So I ask you again, where is your confidence? Do you live a life beholding the truth of God as revealed in Scripture? Or do you try to live by your own strength? It goes on and says, behold, his reward is with him. Nobody is going to reward God because God is God is sovereign. He's able and he will accomplish. And his reward is with him, his recompense before him. He's going to come and, and he's going to bring the fruit of his labors. And, and, and what would that be? It would be the salvation of his people, the redeemed children. That would be, that's his reward. Notice verse 11. He shepherds with ten. Now, with all this power, with all of this strength, God will shepherd his people with tender, loving care. The strength of Almighty God is the strength of his tenderness and love and care. Look at verse 11. Just we, I intensely put all those verses in there so that we can see that God is mighty, that he is, that he is majestic. And remember last week that we read that God is high and lofty and he is near those who have a contrite and broken spirit from Isaiah 7. God is high and lofty. He is strong and he yet he is near. He is a shepherd to his people. He will tend his flock. He is near to them. He is care. He, he cares for them. Verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. With, we, God, the almighty God, the almighty God, is, he will tend like a, a shepherd. He will care for his people like a shepherd. This idea of shepherd is reminiscent to Psalm 23. And Psalm 100 verse 3 says this. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You got God. Who is mighty. Mentioned in the same breath as caring for his people who are like sheep. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather. Look, listen to the tenses of the he will tend. This is what God will do when he comes for his people. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. This is what this is what it's going to look like. This is what their deliverance is going to look like. God is going to, he, he, even though he's going to come with a, with, with a mighty arm, he's going to come tenderly. He will gather the lambs in his arms. Notice his arm. We just talked about the Lord, that his arm is strong. But that same arm that is strong will tenderly gather the and he calls them lambs lambs and he will gather the the, the those who are uh, easy prey Th those who are who are in need of care he will that same mighty arm will gently gather them the, the arm that rules and for, uh, that it, it will protect them with tender care. <laughs> so he will gather them. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will, not only will he gather them, he will carry them in his bosom. Intimacy. He, he's not only going to, to, to get them together, he's going to, there's going to be an intimacy of God with his people, Israel, when he delivers them. Carried them in his bosom. Close. Intimate. 
and and and, I, and the people at the time, it, it, no doubt, the remnant, those who got who who will be the true believers, who are the true believers, they they're probably gonna be like, we're just hanging on. And the message is, I got you. <laughs> I'm holding on to you. You may be just hanging. You may be struggling. But I got you. I'm holding on. You may be ready to faint. But I'm coming and I'm going to gather you and I'm going to carry you and I'm going to tend to you. Isaiah 46 verse 4 says this, even to old age. I am he. Don't get it wrong. I am he and to gray hairs. I will carry you. I made you and I will bear. I will carry and will save. Even to old age. God says he will carry his people because he made them. He will bear them. He will save them. And, and the interesting thing about this, this is play on words. The the, the those who are committing idolatry, they they carry their God. <laughs> they carry them. They, they make these guys out of wood, out of gold, and they carry them. But God says, I'm, I carry my people. <laughs> and, and the implication of this is that they don't need to depend upon idols that one can carry around. They don't need to look to the nations for assistance because God is going to be caring for them. God is the one who will care for them. And he says, and gently, gently lead those that are with young. The emphasis here is up on the, the, the leading. He, he will do this with strength, tenderness, compassion, and care, and loyalty to his people. He's going to lead his people from Babylon back to the fold in Jerusalem. God is, he promises to personally tend for them. Those who are weak, he will gather into his arms. He will carry them and he will care for them. And what the text tells us is behold, see, see your God. This is your God. Behold your God. This is him. No wonder Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 39, after reading something like this, no wonder Paul writes in Romans 8, 39, that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing separated God from his covenantal love for his people. And for us, nothing will separate God's love for us in Christ Jesus. Whether you're broken, whether you're weary, God draws near. And he is near to carry you, to give you the grace you need, to enable you to continue to live in this world, this wicked world, with the struggles that you're dealing with, with the sufferings you deal with, God says, and he gives us the assurance in his world, he has not forgotten about you, his care, his concern, his grace, his mercy is immediately available to you. It is available to you to strengthen you, to enable you to hold steadfast to his word, to enable you to walk with confidence and boldly proclaim his word even in the midst of suffering. Why? Because he's mighty and he is gentle. This is our God. This is who he is. And we should be excited about that reality. And because we see it even clearly in Jesus Christ, in Jesus' ministry. He takes on the, the image of a shepherd. 
he, he, he said that he's the good shepherd who gives his life for his sheep. John 10. And he's mighty to save because he's God. Isaiah verse 9 and 6 says this. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Christ is, he's the shepherd. He's gentle to save. He's mighty. He's mighty God. He's able to save. He is divine. And when he became incarnate, he came into history that he might suffer, bleed, and die. And, and, and the, this reality that he saves is the greatest display of the, the strength of God. God saving sinners through Jesus Christ is the greatest display of his strength. I tell people, you know, uh, who who at times they come and particularly with the with the challenges of, of, of the Black Lives Matter and all of that, they come and and, and when I talk to people in, in reference to those things, they they come and I had someone ask me, they said, Well, how it is that you as an African American man can do what you're doing. And I tell them like this. God it puts his glory and his greatness on display by what he is doing in my life and in the life of the church. People of all races gather in this building. And when people walk in here and they see young, old, crippled, lame, from this ethnic background, from that ethnic background, all believers gathering together, worshiping him, glorifying him, that puts his glory and his greatness on display. The very fact that we're here as believers says something about our God, that he is mighty. That he's mighty to save, that he can save. It doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter what your struggles is, what your challenges are, what you've experienced in the past, what you're experiencing now. God is mighty. And this is why Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. He says, uh, he, he talks about uh, what God had revealed to him in, him in his weakness. And he said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. We are a bunch of weak people. But that says something about our God. That as we press on in faith, as we press on when it gets tough, and we don't give up, and we hold to the confession of our faith, we press on and we study the word of God. We press on even in the midst of difficulty. That says something about our God, that he is trustworthy, that he is mighty. Hallelujah. Let us pray. And Father, there are times in our lives where our faith grows weak. When what faces us, when, when the, the challenges we face seems to be impossible. 
when the suffering that we suffer, they seem to be overwhelming. Father, it is in these times. We need a dose, a good dose of who you are. We don't need to run and hide in our homes. We need to be in your house getting fed your word about who you are. We need to behold you. You're our God. You are our God and we need to look upon you and feed our faith with the truth of who you are. Because you're our God. And it is, and, and the the, 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 the provision that you have given to us is the, the truth of Scripture about who you is. And it is revealed in the way we live our lives, whether we trust what we behold of you. We can say it all we want to, that we trust in you, that we believe in you, but if it's not manifested in the way we live our lives, what are we really saying? What are we really proclaiming? If we don't live the way you have commanded us to live in the scripture, what are we really saying? What are we really saying about who you are? So, Father, thank you for this opportunity just to take these next couple of Sundays to, to set our minds and our hearts upon you before we go into the book of Ruth. Because the same God, the same God that will be active and in, in, in that we will see active in, in that book is the same God who is saving his, who will come to comfort and save his people and restore his people. And it's the same God who is at work in our lives through Jesus Christ today. You're the same God. You, you're, you have not changed. You remain the same. And so, Father, thank you. And I pray that you feed us with the truth of who you are for the sake of enabling us to live for your glory in this difficult world that we live in. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.